Aloha KCC Ohana. I've been asked to read today's scripture, Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Karen, thank you for doing our reading today. And Emma, wow, 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 what a dance. And your brother James on the cajon and Pastor Josh, of course, singing. Wow, what an amazing performance for Mother's Day. For those who don't know or don't remember, James and Emma are brother and sister. And more than that, they are twins, but not identical. Anyways, I'd like to ask you to pray with me as we prepare to look into God's Word together. Would you pray with me? Lord, one of the greatest gifts you've given to all of us is a gift of your image in women so that we can understand more of who you are, of your caring and tender side, of your nurturing side, of your side that gives birth and life to us. And Lord, we want to thank you for who you are demonstrated to us through who women are. For all women, some who have had children biologically, others who have just nurtured us in other ways. We are so grateful for them. And we ask your blessing upon them today. And Lord, as we come into your church around the world, we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill each one of us as we're united in Christ and as we study your word together. We pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us through the power of your word that I might merely be a channel, but it would be the Holy Spirit that speaks to every single heart around the world right now that listens to this message. And that Christ would be magnified and glorified. And it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen. My mom was raised in a Christian home with loving Christian parents. She was one of three children. She was the middle child. And mom's dad was a medical doctor. Her mother was a nurse, and dad worked at Cook County Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. But he had his office out of his home, and grandma was the nurse at the office. So they worked together. And Mom, when she was a little girl, saw a nameplate with her daddy's name on it, and it said, Lewis Barkley Bell, M.D. Well, Mom knew exactly what M.D. stood for. It stood for my daddy. <laughs> Mom had a wonderful relationship with her daddy, and one day they went to the hardware store together. They walked there. It was nearby, and they're walking hand in hand and went to the store. And As they left the store, they're walking home, and my grandfather looked at my mom and said, Marjorie, what's that in your hand? And mom said, oh, it's a, a piece of wood, daddy. And her daddy asked, well, Marjorie, and then he kind of bent down so he could look her in the eyes. Where did you get that piece of wood? And smiling, she said, oh, I got it at the hardware store. And then her daddy asked her, well, Marjorie, did you buy that piece of wood? 
And my mom quit smiling at that point and said, no, Daddy. And then he said, Marjorie, did someone give you that piece of wood? And then she's looking at the ground and kind of a scowl on her face, no, Daddy. And then my grandpa said to her, he said, Marjorie, then you stole it. And we don't steal things, so we're going to go back to the hardware store and you're going to apologize and give it back to them. My mom and dad taught me the things that they learned from their parents and from their parents before them. And from an early age, my mom was taught to pursue Christ-like character. You see, character counts. In fact, it's your character that you take with you into eternity. You don't take your wealth. You don't take your possessions. And though your body will be resurrected, it doesn't matter whether your body was fit or flabby, whether it was old or young, sick or healthy, you get a new body. But when you get resurrected, the character you leave earth with is the character you enter eternity with, except all the sin has been removed. If you die with a robust, robust Christian character, a character that takes Philippians 2 seriously, a character that pursues being blameless or above reproach and innocent, unmixed with evil, if you die with such a robust character, it's that character that you enter all of eternity with. But if you die with a wimpy character... A character stunted by years of secret sins or willful disobedience, it's that character, minus the sin, that you enter eternity with. And if you never accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, even though you think you've done good works and good things, God calls those things filthy rags in His sight, you will enter a Christless eternity in hell with that filthy, depraved character for all eternity. Character counts. And it counts both now and for all eternity. Now, of course, in eternity, your character has an opportunity to grow and develop. So does your knowledge. So do your skills. Since God is infinite, His knowledge is infinite, that means they'll never come a time where you will have learned everything. There'll never come a time where you have experienced everything. You'll constantly be growing and developing. When you die and go to be with the Lord, you don't get an instant download of all information. You don't instantly know everything. You don't instantly know how to play every musical instrument or do every skill. You have all eternity to develop the skills. But if you didn't learn them now, you're not going to know them instantly when you get to heaven. If you can't play the piano now, or you can't play the trumpet now, or you can't play the drums now, you'll get to heaven and you still won't be able to play them. But you'll have eternity to take lessons. That's why character counts. You start eternity as the person you left earth as, minus your sins. Turn with me. 
as we continue today in our letters from quarantine to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 15. In chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Grandpa instilled the truth in his little girl who grew up to instill that truth in her children. And that's why mom told me the story about when she was a little thief. (laughs) Because character counts. You see, there is a responsibility ascribed to every Christian once they've responded to Jesus Christ. If you've pre-printed the notes that are on line, now's the time to take them out. First thing, number one on those notes, accepting Christ makes you responsible. Accepting Christ makes you responsible to start acting like Christ. To start acting like Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing to this little church in Philippi. But he's doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means that what he is writing is also God the Spirit writing to the church throughout time around the world. And in Philippians 2, we are given some of the most important and impactful truths for the person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And although salvation is received freely, it is not free of personal responsibility. Let me say that again. Even though you receive your salvation freely, it is not free of personal responsibility because accepting Christ makes you responsible to start acting like Christ. Look with me at verse 12 now of Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God also, number two, looking at the outline, expects your total obedience, whether you're being watched or not. God expects your total obedience, whether you're being watched or not. That's why Paul says, whether you obeyed in my presence or my absence, you are to obey, even if no one is watching. Because accepting Christ makes you responsible to start acting like Christ. You see, who you are when no one is looking is who you really are. As you've always obeyed, Paul writes, in my presence, now much more be obedient to God in my absence. Who you are when no one is looking is who you really are. What you would do if you knew that no one would ever find out that you did it, that reflects who you really are. And God, we see here, In Philippians 2, verse 12, expects your total obedience, whether he's watching or not. Whether someone else is watching or not. Of course, he's always watching, but whether you think he's watching. 
Grandpa Lewis expected Mom to never steal anything ever again, whether he was with her or not, whether he was watching or not. He was developing Christ-like character in his little girl. Accepting Christ makes you responsible to start acting like Christ. God expects your total obedience whether you are being watched or not. Now the last part of verse 12, we could call it 12b, needs to be read and understood in context with verse 13 so it's not misread and so it doesn't lead to heresy. The end of verse 12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice carefully what it says and what it doesn't say. It says, work out, not work for. You can't earn your salvation. No amount of effort or so-called good works will ever earn you salvation. It's a free gift received by the hand of faith. In one of Paul's other letters, written while he was in quarantine to a church in Ephesus, which is a city which is located in what we call Turkey now, he writes this in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 9, he says, For by grace, grace is God's undeserved favor, you have been saved through faith. There it is, faith, the hand of faith. And that, in other words, that salvation, is not of yourselves, it is the gift of of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of works that no one should boast. No one can boast that they were good enough to be saved. No one can boast to say, I worked so hard, that's why I get to go to heaven. Not you, not me, no one. So keeping that in mind, go back to Philippians 2.12, B, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then verse 13, 4. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Verse 12, it says, work out. Work out is what you do. Verse 13 says, work in. Work in is what God has already done in you. God puts salvation and Christ-likeness in you. Your job is to work it out, to express it when life squeezes you like that toothpaste in the children's sermon what should come out is Christ likeness you work it out like a gold miner working a mine he works out the gold that God has placed there already but I don't want to your flesh whines <laughs> I don't want to be obedient I don't want to act like Christ I want to just do what pleases me. Yes, of course, but you've accepted Christ, the gift of salvation, and you have a responsibility. Accepting Christ makes you responsible to start acting like Christ. And God expects your obedience, whether someone's watching or not. But then your flesh says, but I can't do it. I can't live up to it. I can't and I don't want to. Well, guess what? God knew that you would feel that way. He knew I would feel that way. So God did something absolutely wonderful and beautiful, miraculous, amazing, potentially life-changing for you and for me. 
I don't know if you saw it in verse 13. It says in verse 13, For it is God, not you, who is at work, where? In you. And what's he working to do? Both to will, in other words, to give you the desire to do what pleases God, and to work, in other words, to give you the energy and power for doing God's pleasure. I love this verse. It says that God will give you the desire to do what He wants you to do, and He'll give you the power to do what He wants you to do. And when you don't feel like doing what God wants you to do, say, Lord, I don't feel like doing this. Give me the feeling that I need. Give me the desire I need to do Your will. And He's promised to do that. He's already placed inside of you this desire and this ability to do as well. Not only are you and I powerless to obtain salvation and become a Christian, we are powerless in ourselves to live the Christian life. We're not supposed to live the Christian life in our own power. That's why the Apostle Paul, in righteous indignation, wrote to a church in Galatia and he said, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He says you were born again through the Holy Spirit. You can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. It's not your flesh. Desire, ask, yield. Desire the Holy Spirit to lead you. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Then yield every day, D-A-Y, to the Holy Spirit. You see, God has extremely high expectations of you. And of me. He wants us to act like Christ, but it's not unrealistic. Because He's given us this wonderful ability inside of us to be changed on the outside because of what He's put on the inside. He'll give us the desire. He'll give you the desire and the power to live the Christian life. And that's what makes it possible for us to fulfill these seemingly impossible demands in verses 14 and 15. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That includes pandemics and sheltering in place and other inconveniences and hardships and tragedies. That you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. That the outside will show what's on the inside. Above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you appear as lights. That word is luminaries. We can see them as stars in the world. In the Greek word world there is cosmos. So he's telling us that you should be like stars in the cosmos or cosmos. And who doesn't want to be a star? And that's what we are to be in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings us, thirdly, to this truth, this challenge. Number three, what you have experienced inwardly is to be expressed outwardly. What you have experienced inwardly is to be expressed outwardly. You see... If your Christianity isn't effective when you're out in the world, you have to ask yourself, how effective is my Christianity? 
It needs to be effective out in the world when you're squeezed. Moms often tell their children, work it out together when their children are not getting along. Just work it out. Well, God is telling His children, work it out as well. But what God means by that, by working it out, is for you and me. But we have experienced inwardly to express it outwardly to the world. That people will know that Christ is in us. Late one dark night, shortly before midnight, an older African-American woman was standing on the side of an Alabama highway next to her car that had broken down. The rain was pouring down. She was desperately in need of a ride. She was getting soaked. And soaking wet, she decided to just flag down the next car that drove by. A young white man stopped his car to help her. Something generally unheard of in the racist-filled 1960s, especially in the state of Alabama. Man took her to safety, helped her get all the assistance she needed for her car, made sure she got in a taxi cab. And the lady seemed to be in a big hurry, but before she rushed off, she asked the young man where he lived and his name, and she wrote it down, and she took off in the taxi. Seven days later, there was a knock on the young man's door, and there was a delivery. And it was a huge color TV console with a special personal note on it from this lady. And the note said, Thank you so much for assisting me on the highway the other night. The rain drenched not only my clothes, but also my spirits. And then you came along, and because of you, I was able to make it to my dying husband's bedside just before he passed away. God bless you for helping me and unselfishly serving others. Signed, Mrs. Nat King Cole. For those who don't recognize the name, Nat King Cole was a famous American singer, jazz pianist, and was the first African-American ever to host his own variety television show back in the late 1950s and early 60s. This young man was truly a light in the darkness, shining for Christ. And every Christian is responsible to do the same. Because what you have experienced inwardly, God expects you to express outwardly. Would you pray with me? With their heads bowed, eyes closed, so you can have a private moment. I'd like you to look at your heart and see what's in there. Is Jesus Christ there? Is Jesus Christ in your heart? He comes by invitation. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Have you let him in? 
If you've never let Jesus Christ into your heart, you can ask Him in right now by praying a prayer or something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize my sin and my inability to save myself. I believe You died for my sins. I believe You rose from the grave and conquered death. And I ask You to come into my life and save me. If you prayed that prayer, He's come in. Christian, as we continue to pray, have you been praying daily, D-A-Y, desiring for the Holy Spirit to give you the desire (laughs) even to follow the Holy Spirit? Have you been asking, Holy Spirit, give me the power, the desire to do what you want? Have you yielded to the Holy Spirit? Each of us is going through a difficult time now. Some much more difficult than others. But we all have the same resource. Cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me. May what's on the inside be seen on the outside as I'm squeezed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you accepted Jesus today or this week, would you go to our website, let us know. There's a button that says Accepted Christ. Go ahead and click on that, and then we will connect with you and let you know what's next.